What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB, E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. That's where we post all of our new podcast articles or any baseball content at all. Uh, we do share it out over there. So make sure you guys are following. I know we're a long way away from the next season starting up. But if you guys want to get ahead of the curve, hit a follow over or throw a follow over there. Uh, you guys will get all of the content that we have that will be coming out throughout the offseason. And there's going to be a lot of stuff, uh, not just these podcasts. There will be a lot of written work that will be coming out at sportsethos.com. That is the source if you guys are not people who use social media. That is where you can find all of our same great content. Now, we're going to do something a little differently than what I had originally anticipated today. We're going to do ADP values and ADP fades uh, that I have found based on the early drafts that we're seeing, and the information is always changing because there are always drafts going on at this time of year, slow drafts, which do take a while to finish. Once they get finished, that data gets added in. So we're starting to see every day there's usually one or two more drafts that are getting completed. But we're going to give that another day to kind of reset itself. And today we're going to talk about some news that's happened over the last few days because I feel like it's been a while since we have done a news show. There's not a ton to go over, but I think it'll bridge the gap here. We needed to have one show this week that was going to be something a little bit different. Uh, I didn't want to start the first base review on the Friday and then carry over on the Monday. We're just going to start that next week. From So I'll just lay out the schedule. So today we'll talk about some news. Tomorrow we will talk about my favorite values at their current ADP. Friday we'll talk about guys that I'm fading at their current ADP. And then next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday we will do first base reviews, assuming that there is nothing earth-shattering that we need to talk about. I know Tawny signing or something like that, then that will be the way that the shows are laid out for the next week. Let's start with the Angels. Oh, man, the Angels, the Angels, the Angels. I don't know what's really happening in Los Angeles, but it's not good. It's, it's really bad, and it's gotten from a point of being baseball acceptable kind of bad just all oh, you know shitty luck they can't win in the playoffs it happens they can't get to the playoffs it happens and now it's gotten to a point where the team is just openly looking like a massive joke and i i don't know why they continue to double down on some of the weird things we see happen but they did it again uh over the last couple of days so there was an article that came out at the athletic by sam blum bloom or blum i'm actually not sure which way it's pronounced forgive me there uh, B-L-U-M, Sam, spelled the usual way. Obviously, you guys can find that uh, if you go to The Athletic or if you just look up his name. He released an article talking about something that was really out of left field for me, and it was a pitcher from yesteryear, Troy Percival, who is, I guess, you know, one of the more famous pitchers in Angels history. He threw there for nine seasons. He won a World Series. He was an All-Star four times. I guess he's one of their more famous pitchers. Now, they brought him in, not to be a coach necessarily, uh, but he's been invited in, or he was invited in, to help work with their up-and-coming prospects. And he wasn't too happy with what he saw. And I don't know how directly correlated these moves are, but the Angels then, in turn, got rid of a couple of high-ranking pitching instructors in their organization. Pitching coordinator Buddy Carlisle and pitching performance coordinator Dylan Axelrod were both let go of shortly thereafter. Why are they taking advice from Troy Percival on their personnel is my first question. Why is he, I mean, I know he's a pitcher. There's a lot of pitchers. You're going to take advice from somebody just because he pitched for your team and they won a World Series more than 20 years ago. 
I don't know that there's much really there. Now, he has been a coach. He has been a college coach. Uh, where was it that he was coaching? I forget now. Uh, it's listen. Oh, yeah, UC Riverside. So he has been a coach at, at the college level. But why are they taking Troy Percival's input, a guy who hasn't pitched in the big leagues in, I don't even know how long it's been, a decade? Has it been a decade since he's pitched in a bit? More than a decade, 15 years since he's pitched in Major League Baseball. Why are they taking his input and then going and firing coaches afterwards? Now, there's not a direct through line, apparently. The end of the day, the decisions are made by the higher-ups, and it's not up to Troy Percival. But they seem to be fairly directly correlated here uh, between Percival coming in, saying he's not a big fan of the analytical thing going on. He doesn't like the iPads. For whatever reason, I don't know why anybody would care if there's iPads there that they can watch replays on. I don't know, but he doesn't like it. The team then, in turn, makes a couple of personnel changes. Now, earlier today, our friend Eno Saris tweets out that Buddy Carlisle was scooped up by the Rays. He is now the Rays pitching coordinator. So when you see a move happen like this, it just makes you think, what kind of dysfunction are we going to see next from the Angels? Because they are firing coaches, ostensibly based on you know the advice of a former player, and they are then being hired by one of the sharpest, if not the sharpest organization in baseball. So I think the Angels really desperately need to take a step back here and evaluate everything because they are becoming a joke. They're becoming parody. They are already parody, but they're entering into a point where they're like the Savannah Bananas at this point with how seriously we're going to take them. They hired Ron Washington as their manager. Ron Washington's had some successes. He's had some failures. He's been to a couple of World Series, which he did not win, but he made it to the big dance. But he hasn't been a manager in 10 years. He has been a coach. He's been a base coach with the Athletics and with the Braves. But this is not somebody who is probably going to be able to turn your franchise around based on what we've been seeing. They're already kind of rejecting analytics, and we see that based on them giving in to Percival's thoughts. Uh, and then they hire a guy who's 71 years old. And I don't really know Ron Washington at all. Not to say I don't really know him. I don't know him at all. I have no idea what kind of analytics are going to be incorporated in his team, in his tenure. But I can't think that a manager who's been coaching since, I mean, the mid-90s, a guy who played since the 70s, is going to be terribly new school with his approach to anything, right? So I fear that this is just going to be more of the same. I don't really care. I'm not, I don't have a horse in this race. But I fear, especially for Angels fans, that this is going to be more of the same. Otani, they've already scared away the best player of all time or, the, you know, arguably the best player of all time. He, he came to Los Angeles, which was kind of surprising to begin with, gave the team a chance to put a, a winner around him. He's been there since, I believe, 2018, and they never did. Mike Trout has been there since 2012 at the big league level, and they haven't, they've tried, but they've failed miserably. And I think that them not actually doing things to, quote-unquote, reset – is a huge mistake. Now, the things they are doing, <clears throat> you could call it a reset, but it's really not. It's taking one step forward and then five or seven steps backwards with the moves that they have made. Ron Washington is a, probably okay, but he's probably going to fall into the same bucket as your Buck Showalters and your Tony LaRussas. And I, I don't mean to generalize, but managers, guys coming from that same kind of generation, they're going to have the same general schools of thought. A lot of the time, anyway. It's not every single case, but a lot of the time they're going to have the same schools of thought, and you're going to see antiquated, ridiculous tendencies from Ron Washington probably 
again, I, I, I maybe I shouldn't even be saying this. Maybe this is wrong of me to even go on this rant. But why hire somebody who has not been a manager in a decade, who's more than 70 years old? Like, are they just trying to follow the White Sox blueprint of hiring Tony La Russa and just ruining your organization? Because, I mean, Tony La Russa, not that it was necessarily all his fault, but he comes into a successful team, and within two years, they're now a 100-loss team. I know there's more to it than that, but the Angels are already starting out from a place of being so, so terrible. Why would you not hire somebody who is younger and more forward-thinking Somebody who has some experience with the data side of things and not somebody who is going to rely probably like Washington is, I mean, assuming that he has the autonomy to do so, a lot on the older school numbers. Why are you guys refusing to move into the new world? I mean, I can understand some hesitancy if you're an older person or whatever and you don't want to learn all these new stats. I get it, but it's the way that you're going to be competing at this point. You can't be a team that is like the White Sox or the Rockies or the Angels and just you know put analytics in the dark and shun them entirely and then expect anything good to happen. Troy Percival's afraid of iPads. Are you kidding? This is, this is how you, you guys are making decisions in your organization because a pitcher who hasn't been in the league in 15 years, albeit was a very good pitcher, is coming in and telling you this. Like I'm just so lost for words at how this team is being managed. I think Moreno needs to sell the team. But that's something that we've said for a long time. He has no real idea what he's doing. Sometimes you'll see these massive contracts handed out by the Angels, and sometimes they look good. They almost always, pretty much always in his tenure, have been terrible contracts. Josh Hamilton, Rendon, Trout, you had to give money to Trout. It is what it is. But Pujols, there are so many examples of just terrible, terrible decisions from the top down. Yes, firing people is probably the right thing to do. But firing guys who are very, very well-regarded pitching developers and then immediately see them get scooped up by the Rays has to be a smack in your face and just say, oh, my God, what are we doing? It's like when a team designates a player for assignment and they get picked up by the Rays or something along those lines. It's not just the Rays. I shouldn't put too much on the Rays, but smart organizations in general, Cleveland, San Francisco to some extent, like there are teams that are smarter and sometimes they're going to take advantage of a situation like this and it looks like the Rays really really have all of the accounts that i have seen online today about carlisle are, the, are about uh, buddy carlisle are that he is a first rate individual and he really knows his craft why are these why is this somebody the angels want to let go of i have no idea it, what makes it even funnier is that ron washington had a press conference today introductory press conference and he said the angels focus is to run the west down so this kind of bullshitting publicly, privately, whatever, is really not beneficial to anybody. You're lying to your fans, you're lying to the players, you're lying to the league, and you're lying to everybody in the sense that you are telling people you're going to be competitive. You want to run down the West. He said, and I quote, once we get things together and we get these guys together in spring training, our whole focus is going to be to run the West down and you can take that to the bank and deposit it. These old school stuff stupid quotes that are just ridiculous and don't serve anybody are not going to help your team in any way. You look stupid to the rest of the league. You look stupid to your own players who are probably looking at this roster and thinking, yeah, we're winning 70 games if we're lucky next year. And that's probably what the case is going to be. No Otani? My God, Otani has carried this team the last several years, and they've still been terrible. Mike Trout, complete wild card in terms of his health. I don't know if he's going to play 30 games or 160. 
I have no idea. It's probably not going to be 160, but we have no idea. Why, why are you going to say these things and then raise expectations, get everybody a little more interested? I just, I don't understand it. Maybe that's what it is, right? They want to sell tickets. And they know that, eh, well, Ron Washington's been around for a while. He'll sell probably more tickets if there is even a managerial factor in this than some young unknown guy. I don't know if that's a factor in it. I have no idea. But I know that they look really, really stupid. The second part that I want to get to here, and I don't think it's going to be anything massive, but this kind of disconnect and this kind of public dysfunction that we've seen from the Angels can actually potentially lead to a buying opportunity. And I don't, I don't think it'll be drastic, but you may see cases where certain players are devalued in drafts because people will see the LAA beside their name and they'll think, I want nothing to do with this shit show. And it'd be hard to blame them, really. But you may get to a point where players are being pushed a little bit farther down than they should be. In these early drafts, there's no Angels, really, that are going inside of the top 200 outside of Mike Trout and Logan O'Hoppe. Shohei Otani, I'm not really going to count because he's not an angel at this point. Mike Trout, 65 is his ADP. Logan Ohapi, 176. The only guys you're spending top 200 prices on. I'm not saying that these prices are artificially being pushed down, but, I mean, maybe they are. Taylor Ward is going at pick 220. Reed Detmers at pick 268. Zach Nito at pick 289. These guys should probably be going a little bit higher than they currently are. Patrick Sandoval, CJ Krona, pick 500. Like, I don't think either one of them is going to be a world beater, but I pick 500. These guys might be getting depressed in terms of their price because, well, the Angels are, are bad, right? But also because people just kind of want to stay away from the situation entirely. And while I don't disagree with the sentiment, there does become a point in that where it flips over and these players become really, really good values. And I think a lot of them at this point are. There's not anybody that's terribly expensive. Like I said, pretty much everybody outside of the top 200 picks. At that point, you're probably going to find some guys you're interested in. Taylor Ward at 220, Brandon Drury at 245, Detmers at 268. There's a lot of guys that I could probably get behind if the price remains this cheap. So that's the silver lining in all this for fantasy. Let's see the shit show. Let's see all these ridiculous reports, and we're going to win the West. We're going to be the pennant, blah, blah, blah. We're winning the World Series. I want to hear all the ridiculous quotes because maybe that will make people think that this is even more of a shit show than it is, if that's even possible. And maybe it's not going to be a lot. Like, the market will be what the market is, but maybe you get guys getting passed over an extra round or two, or even if it's just an extra pick or two, that could benefit you if we're talking about any of these guys that I mentioned, right? Maybe they'll fall a little more because people don't want to deal with the Angels, and maybe that's wise, but I think there will come a point for some of them potentially where that does become a pretty nice little buying opportunity. But let's move on. We spent a lot of time on the Angels. I could rant about them all day. Let's talk about Tyler Glass now. This is not a report that I was expecting to see, but apparently Tyler Glass now is expected to be traded this offseason by the Rays. They're expected to. Not even that it's a possibility or they're going to explore. They are expected to trade Tyler Glass now. I don't know. I, I really don't know how to feel about this. From a fantasy point of view, I, I don't think it really matters where Glass now pitches. Glass now is going to be what he is. He's an elite starting pitcher. I don't think it matters if he's in Oakland or if he's in Colorado. Would probably impact that a little bit, but it pretty much doesn't matter. The thing with him is health. But the thing with the Rays in general, their pitching staff has been health. We just saw this last season, Tommy John just hook over the entire pitching staff. Injuries top to bottom pretty much. Zach Eflin was the only exception. 
Now, unless you're getting a starting pitcher back one for one or you feel really confident about some guys that are coming up, and I don't think it's the greatest group of pitching prospects in their system, not that I'm a prospect guy, but why are you going to take away from a position of weakness already? And I know Glass now is, you know, Tyler made a Glass now. I've heard that one said before. But I just can't see removing another pitcher, an elite pitcher from that mix really making that much sense is the market for Tyler Glass now going to be a lot are you going to be able to trade him for you know a one-for-one superstar is this going to be a a trade of prospects coming back I I just don't see why the Rays would currently do this it just it just really doesn't make a lot of sense to me from a from a real life standpoint the fantasy standpoint like I said it doesn't really matter to me I don't really care where he's pitching he's going to be a free agent at the end of 2024 so you're going to trade him away in a contract year I just I, I just don't see the rhyme or the reason behind it. I mean, he's a little bit older than you might have expected Tyler Glass. Now, maybe they don't want to pay him. He's 30 years old. But I just think the return for somebody who has missed so much time with injury is not going to be equivalent to a team that every year is in win-now mode. The Rays, every single season, are a team that wins 95, let's call it 90 to 100 games, and they're making the postseason, and every year they're trying to compete in the playoffs. This is kind of their window. We don't really know how long or how short it is because we don't really know exactly what this team looks like long-term. We don't know what McClanahan's going to look like. No idea what Wander Franco's future looks like. There's a lot of pieces on this team that look pretty good, and there's a lot of up-and-comers, but we also don't know what those guys are going to look like. They're kind of win-now, right? They're in a win-now situation, as they have been for the last several years. Why would they remove a piece that is going to likely be there to help you on the Major League roster next season when you are trying to win a World Series? Unless they really see something they don't like in terms of scans or whatever, and they think, you know what, we're going to beat the ticking time bomb here. We're going to get rid of Glass now before he really gets hurt and he really becomes you know, a useless asset. Maybe that's the point they're trying to make here, but I just can't see it making a hell of a lot of sense from a real-life point of view. I mean, I'm a Blue Jay fan. Get him out of that division, no problem. But I just don't think for the Rays it really makes a hell of a lot of sense to move him. Let's talk about one more piece of news This one's slightly less interesting, but there are still some people who think this guy is a really good baseball player, so let's just talk about this real quick. Cal Quantrill uh, was designated for assignment yesterday by the Cleveland Guardians. Now, I saw a lot of people immediately saying, Cal Quantrill, if you look back at ERA over the last several years, Cal Quantrill, I mean, I know he had a bad year in 2023, but he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. This is not me talking. This is me parroting what I've seen online. And to the people's credit, a 328 ERA in 2022, a 289 ERA in 21, and in the short year of 2020, albeit mostly in relief, a 225 ERA. If you go to Fangraphs and you look at the leaders in ERA over the past several years, and what we I, there was an account on Twitter, I can't remember who it was now exactly. Uh, it was some random account anyway. It doesn't really matter who it was, but they were talking about the splits. Not the splits, but the uh, the way that these stats have broken down over the last several seasons uh, for starting pitchers. Sorry, that was a little bit of word salad here. I'm just getting this Fangraphs page set up for it. So we're looking at the best pitchers between 2021 and 2022, just in the American League. And if you look at ERA, Cal Quantrill was fourth. Between 2021 and 2022, Cal Quantrill had the fourth best ERA in the American League. I know, I know. But if you look at this whole leaderboard, you can kind of tell why we are 
the first part of my point here, really not really giving a shit about ERA anymore. It does not matter. So let's take a look at these guys. Let's just even look at the top 10 ERA leaders over 2021 and 2022 in Major League Baseball. Alec Manoa was number one. Excuse me, this is the American League, not Major League Baseball. But Alec Manoa was number one. Framber Valdez, number two. Dylan Cease, number three. Cal Quantrill, four. Robbie Ray, five. Garrett Cole is six. Martin Perez, seven. Luis Garcia, eight. Chris Flexen, nine. And Frankie Montes, number 10. This is what happens when you look at ERA. It's not usually going to actually tell you who's the best pitcher. Not even close, really. Uh, if you're looking at all the other different indicators, that probably should never have happened. But there we have it. Cal Quantrill, over the course of a couple seasons, was one of the best pitchers in the American League. Pitching for one of the best pitching organizations in baseball. There was a lot to really like about Cal Quantrill. But at this point, with the injuries, with the fact that he's no longer with the great organization anymore, and the fact that he literally can't strike anybody out, 13% strikeout rate this year to go along with an 8% walk rate. That is atrocious. Like that is, it's hard to even put in. If you're not somebody who looks at those numbers all day, like I do, it probably doesn't stand out to you so much. But if you're anybody who has any idea about strikeout percentages and just the league average, 13% is, oh my God. It's, I had to hold myself back from saying a pretty bad word there. It is freaking terrible. It is garbage. And it's progressively gone down from 23 to 19 to 16 to 13. We've seen the walk rate go from 5 to 7 to 6 to 8. It's just kind of progressively gotten worse and worse for Cal Quantrill. That ERA that was so shiny the last couple of years was 524 this year. If you looked at the XFIP, you looked at the XERA, you looked at the Sierra numbers, which is why we talk about them on the show here. I don't talk about them because I find them to be terribly amusing or entertaining. I talk about them because they're important. He had a 338 ERA last year with a 439 XFIP and a 449 Sierra. The year prior, the 289 ERA, 443 XFIP and a 452 Sierra. We should have absolutely seen it coming with Quantrill. If a team like the Guardians is willing to give up on a 28-year-old who has had that success for them just as recently as a year ago, that should be a sign to the rest of baseball that Cal Quantrill is toast as a big leaguer, for certainly as a fantasy asset. I mean, there's a, there's a good chance he will latch on with somebody. He probably will. Maybe he has to work his way back up to a starting rotation job out of the pen or, or whatever the situation is, but he'll probably be back in the big leagues. It will not be as a mainstay on fantasy rosters ever, ever again, unless, let's say, the Rays or San Francisco or a team like that picks him up, the Dodgers. Somebody like that picks him up, and maybe they can you know, find that form once again, even though I think it was kind of, eh, I don't, I think it was, not that I want to say it was like bullshit, but he was not ever as good as what the numbers told us. Maybe he can kind of fake it again or get back to that point where he can mask some of the problems and maybe get the strikeout rate back, even just to like close to 20%. 13% is god-awful. You cannot be a major league starting pitcher with a 13% strikeout rate. You just can't do it. So maybe he gets back up to – you can't be a major league pitcher in general, right? You just need a better strikeout rate if you're a bullpen arm. You can't be somebody striking out nobody. And that's what Quantrill has been. So maybe somebody's able to get him back to that form that we did see. As of right now, I think it doesn't even matter where he goes. Even if it's like the Dodgers or the Rays this season, I, I, I just can't really get behind it. Maybe over time he's able to get back that form that we did see in Cleveland, but I think it will take some time. 
for him to actually get back and be a proper major league pitcher again. And maybe he's able to do it next year. Maybe he's able to get scooped up by the Rays and he becomes the next Zach Eflin. And we just see like a, a stupidly good season from him. It's totally possible, but I'm not going to be investing in him whatsoever. I just want to take a quick look and see, is he still sorted by Cleveland players on the NFBC page? He is. So his draft price is 650 is his ADP. You're looking at 454 on the minimum pick and 687 on the maximum. I don't really want him anywhere, even if it's at the later end of that price. If you're getting him close to pick 700, I guess it can't really hurt you, but I'd rather shoot for upside at that point of the draft. You're talking draft champions because there's no other formats that are going to allow you to go that late. I would definitely, definitely need to be really out of options to want to take Cal Quantrill in any league at this point. But that'll do it. That's our little news recap. Let me know what you think over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, over at Ethos Fantasy BB as well, and of course at SportsEthos.com. Tomorrow we are going to be talking about some values. We're going to talk about anybody that I think is a good price within the top 100 picks. We'll go beyond that over the course of the offseason, but we're going to start small here. I know most of you guys aren't even drafting, so it doesn't really matter. But for those of you who are in the early drafting stage, maybe you're just taking your notes, you're doing your research. Make sure you tune into the next couple episodes because that's where we're going to really get into my deep thoughts about these players that I both like and dislike within the top 100. But until then, guys, take care tonight. Have a great one. And we will see you tomorrow. Cheers. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit